Hello, and welcome to the Thriving Families podcast. I'm Anna, and this is the podcast which aims to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for us to be able to talk about children and young people with additional support needs. Thriving Families and I are based in the Highlands of Scotland, and we're hoping to connect people to support us in feeling less isolated and being able to recognise that you're not the only one. So today I'm talking about the cost of caring. However, I'm not talking about the financial impact and the costs of that. That's definitely another episode in itself. I'm talking about the physical, the emotional and the psychological impact of caring for a young person with additional support needs. We can define this in one way as compassion fatigue and it has been classed as secondary trauma or stress. And I just want to make it clear that compassion fatigue is not necessarily what people may class as burnout, although sometimes these terms get interused. Um, It's not exhaustion, it's not a burnout. Um, Differently, compassion fatigue tends to happen quite suddenly and it shows quite a lot of vulnerability when generally it can be treated fairly effectively. This contrasts maybe with a burnout or some sort of exhaustion, which is commonly more like a build-up of things over time, where you gradually have symptoms and they incur and care to generally a, a breakdown of a situation. So compassion fatigue may be effectively managed and treated at the same time that maybe people are dealing with other things, but it tends to be more of a sudden onset as opposed to those slow build-up of conditions which can lead to a very serious burnout. It doesn't mean that compassion fatigue is any less serious than a burnout um, or exhaustion or depression. It's just trying to get people to understand um, different circumstances, different terms we might use. And I know it's confusing because sometimes we use terms to describe other terms. Um, But it's also not not uncommon that you know someone who is maybe suffering from compassion fatigue may essentially then um, suffer from a burnout or a breakdown of their own situation due to a total collapse and breakdown of circumstances due to an exhaustion of their situation so it can be combined as well which I know doesn't necessarily help sorry I'm probably being very confusing (laughs) Anyway, if I try and talk about compassion fatigue as a condition, hopefully we can get to an, another level of understanding. Now, compassion fatigue has been more commonly related to caring professionals, such as counsellors and therapists, as opposed to maybe parents and unpaid carers. The kind of background and theory to compassion fatigue is that when there is a professional, a caring professional, supporting an individual empathetically, then they together go through a recovery process, which means that both the client and the counsellor are together, they're empathetically engaged um, in order to get to a place of healthy recovery. And the process is generally that both people, therefore the client and the counsellor, for example, um, go through almost as witnesses and experiences to the secondary stress and the trauma of whatever the client is processing. Now, it's the counsellor's job to make sure that they support the client, for example, through this appropriately and they put the safeguards in place and they support that person appropriately with whatever um, treatment is needed. But it's also acknowledged generally in a caring profession, such as a counsellor, 
that the councillor's job is also to support themselves um, and therefore we have things that exist like clinical supervision, which is generally compulsory for um, all qualified and regulated counsellors and therapists. So what I want to think about is that although compassion fatigue is widely acknowledged um, in the cases of caring professionals, um, it isn't necessarily a condition historically that was hugely connected to parents and carers or foster carers. Um, and, and I think it really could be. And there is a huge amount of growing support for this. Parents and all sorts of carers are recognised and acknowledged. And if we think about the previous couple of episodes that, you know, the cost of caring can be things that are brought on stress, anxiety, depression and exhaustion. But they're generally seen as being related to the demands of what is happening in the situation and the demands of caring, like having to keep up with your children and having so much to do in order to care for them. Um, not necessarily due to a trauma maybe that's been experienced by a young person or by their child. Um, so since compassion fatigue is seen to be experienced by caregivers who work with clients who have experienced trauma, I believe personally that it's clearly something that parents and carers of young people with additional support needs would quite commonly incur. Most children with an additional support need will probably have experienced some form of trauma. Um, I suppose it depends on what you see as trauma. If we think about trauma as being generally acknowledged as something that is distressing or disturbing for a child, um, and it could be both physically or emotionally disturbing or distressing, then it can see itself in many different ways. It could be a child who has experienced bullying, um, a bereavement, um, someone who has had involved in a, an accident, um, had someone who suffers from panic attacks, someone who's been humiliated in public. You know, these are all things that could bring trauma. Um, so these traumas um, for many young people could impact upon them and it could be what brings on I suppose or why they're seen to have an additional support need if a young person for instance has an an accident where they lose a limb you know there's they'll then be accepted as having a disability and therefore having an additional support need if a child has a, a breakdown due to the bereavement or the loss of a parent then we recognize that that child needs social and emotional support and that can be recognized as an additional support need you know, looked after children, experienced trauma, sadly, um, more than most people would like to maybe realise, you know, a breakdown of a home situation, being taken away from, you know, your birth family, um, uh, you know, neglect, abuse, um, you know, all of these can, well, are essentially traumas. Therefore, as a carer for a child with an additional support need, I think, you know, it's therefore should be widely accepted that the parent or the carer caring for that child is going to be empathetically linked. Um, and therefore, there's highly likely that a person caring for them may be someone who experiences compassion fatigue. I think the fear of someone who experiences compassion fatigue and not knowing is really quite scary. So as a parent or an unpaid carer of a young person, you may be so focused on caring for them that you may do more harm than good for yourself. Compassion fatigue is in effect, you know, it can be effectively treated 
But if it isn't, it can lead to quite defensive and avoidant behavior where you start to almost shut down and, you know, start to ignore things happening around you. Um, anger, a lack of empathy, uh, a high growth of cynicism and negativity and spiraling into things like depression. So those circumstances can bring a lot of risk in a family circumstance. So that could essentially then lead to a collapse of a family situation and bring more trauma for a young person and for the adult themselves as well. So if this is in the circumstances of a family where a child is already recognised to have an additional support need, then I think it's should be seen as a kind of priority situation to be able to care for them. Now, personally, I can see and acknowledge um, compassion fatigue in different roles in my life. So I want to come at that as kind of three perspectives. So as a mum, as someone who's worked in education, and then someone who is beginning to work in more of a therapeutic role. So as a mum to two children who have additional support needs, um, they have both suffered trauma um, in, their, in their lives and and. I can totally see that you become intertwined with their experiences of their whole life, even the parts of their lives that I wasn't involved in. Um, as their mum, I like most things that I do in my life revolve around meeting their needs. If we think back to the last two episodes and Karen's story um, and her, those two podcasts, it's really clear, you know, everything Karen did is for her son, every decision she's made personally, emotionally, socially, professionally, has been to provide the best support and home for her son. When a child has an additional support need, I think most parents and carers will essentially give all their time and energy to make um, it the best they possibly can. And there's plenty of personal sacrifices along the way. Many of the symptoms of compassion fatigue, I believe many parents or carers have probably experienced without even you know realizing it you know heightened irritability sleep disturbance um losing your temper deep sadness procrastination of tasks withdrawing from normal activities um avoiding any memories of the trauma that you're you know trying to not acknowledge that it was there and just you know closing off your eyes to it a little bit um as an adoptive parent, I can openly admit to having all, have experienced all of the above, not necessarily all together, not culminating in what I would say is diagnostically. I'm not saying that I have compassion fatigue, but I can see how each of those things can appear in your life because of what you are doing as a carer. And um, I think it highlights to me, like the awareness that I need to have as a parent and, and the knowledge that it's best for me to have and what I can best do to support myself so that I can be the best mum I can for my kids. I genuinely believe it's not something that's just applicable to health and social care professionals. Um, I think, um, you know, as a teacher, I can recognise in my own experience working in education and, and witnessing other people I've worked alongside for years um, is that there's definitely been situations where now I can look back with hindsight and say, yep, that member of staff definitely was you know showing some form of compassion fatigue and it is depending on your role in something like education I, you know I'm not speaking for everybody here it's just my opinion um but you know the factor in depending on what your role is but you know I went into working in education because I really enjoy working with young people 
um, building relationships with um, young people and, you know, trying to help them, support them to have the best possible school experience you can, both socially and academically. Um, and as a teacher, you do get to know young people as they grow. You know, in a high school, you may just teach that child within your subject every year for six years, or maybe you don't, you know, maybe you're working with more of a pastoral or support role, maybe as a pupil support assistant or as a guidance teacher, but you build up a lot of knowledge about their situation, their home circumstances, their personal history. You know, young people will confide in, um, you know, professionals who they get to know on a daily basis. And so you do become quite heavily involved in some young people's lives. And, and generally, that's okay. It's an accepted part of your job and your profession. And there's protocols in place to make sure that there are, there are boundaries and things don't get merged. But just like a nurse does a lot more than just practical nursing with their patients, a teacher does a lot more than just academic teaching. And, you know, there is a lot of social and emotional support informally from teachers and support assistants and admin staff in schools with young people one-to-one. And I think in additional support needs, that's even more because if you are working one-to-one with a young person with additional support needs, you do become quite heavily involved in that whole makeup of that young person's circumstances. Maybe having to plan transitions to school, looking at extracurricular activities for out of school, you become part of the big picture. And so you do become empathetically engaged. And, you know, that's what we're talking about with health and care professionals being suffering from compassion fatigue because you're empathetically engaged. And so you're going through that process with them. And so I think we can parallel that quite well into this situation. Now, in best practice, I'm sure there is support for those teachers who become empathetically engaged, whether that is in um, line management regulated times to you know give people time to process things to be supported whatever way that is that you know I'm sure in some situations there is support available um you know as teachers and support workers people need to process they need to reflect and they need people everybody needs to offload and reduce the likelihood of compassion fatigue However, just like for parents and unpaid carers, I don't really, I never found it personally in education where it was an accepted part of your role. Yeah, there are some um, processes of line management and, and, you know, passing on and informal offloading, I suppose, but I never personally um, experienced, I suppose, what would be seen as kind of clinical supervision. Now, I'm comparing this to something that I have experienced, and this is kind of my third hat. So, you know, in um, professions like counselling and therapy and psychiatric care, it's really recognised and acknowledged how clinical supervision needs to happen. And it's compulsory. You know, if you go and you work with a counsellor, you should be able to look through their notes and see that they are regulated and they do have to have clinical supervision. It's about keeping the client safe and as well as the professional safe and making sure that um, everything is to the best standard it needs to be. Now, I have some personal experience of clinical supervision um, because, like I said, in that third perspective, um, I'm going to look at for compassion fatigue is that I've been training and I still am training to be a play therapist. 
Um, and now when in this role, I have clinical supervision. It's compulsory, both as a trainee and when you're qualified. It's regulated um, and it's legal, it has to happen. Um, and it's about promoting best practice and high professional standards um, to make sure that you can therapeutically support the young person in the best possible way. Now, I have personally really, really valued this new concept for me. Um, and I found it like so, so useful in my personal practice. Um, now, I can really recognize how this process of clinical supervision helps me to avoid suffering from compassion fatigue. It enables me to process any feelings, reactions, recognize any triggers that may incur for me when I am working one to one with a client. It definitely makes me a better trainee therapist as I can hold a safe space and hold a safe time for my client when they are definitely vulnerable. You know, when you work one-to-one -one with a client in a professional space, supporting them through any issues that are happening, they are vulnerable. And it is your job to be the strength that they need to have and provide that safe space so they can process what they need. Now, I know that I have the support of my supervisor. They may not be in the room with me when I'm with that client, but I am able to provide a better service because I know that if there's any issues that arise, any feelings, any emotions that I need to process, that I have that time to go back in my clinical, um, to go back to my clinical supervisor and to process it. And if I didn't have that, I don't really, I, I don't know what would happen. I'm not sure if it would, I, I, may well get to the stage of where things get het up and, you know, you get overwhelmed. So it brings me back in comparison to my role as a mum and how important it really is to look after myself, as should be to any parent or any carer. Um, but I know, I'm sure many of you don't always listen to your own advice. I'm not always the best at listening to mine. Um, I think if we want to reduce, you know, compassion fatigue in parents and carers, we need to really acknowledge it. We need to do more research into supporting it and preventing it so that people can learn to, you know, avoid the worst symptoms. We definitely live in a world now where I think we do discuss and we acknowledge mental health more, but it's still not enough, you know, for the provision and the research and the work on mental health has is years behind the progress we've made in the world with physical health. You know, if we have parents and carers of young people with additional support needs suffering from compassion fatigue, they will be struggling to meet the needs of their child or their children. You know, we need to openly talk about the cost of caring. We need to openly acknowledge and recognise that self-care, support systems, hobbies, exercise, getting fresh air, they're not extras. You know, these are necessities. Parents and carers need to feel informed and skilled and comforted to be in the best place they can to provide the best support for their families. For parents and carers of young people with additional support needs, you know, the situation isn't going to change, you know. You know, a, a young person or a child's additional support need may slightly alter depending on circumstances, but most of the time our struggles and our challenges may adapt and may look slightly differently and we see different perspectives as as young people grow up but you can't remove being the carer you know I don't think you know people 
you know, my kids are three and eight. <laughs> People say, well, it just gets worse when they're a teenager. You know, the caring never stops. You know, I'm 40. My parents, I know, will still be worrying about me. The worrying doesn't stop. The coping and the caring doesn't stop. Therefore, it's so important that people recognize that, you know, you may not be able to make compassion fatigue disappear, but we can manage it. We can overcome it and we can, you know, help cope things to the best of our ability. You know, we want to get to that place where we avoid having those burnouts. Okay, so, you know, we can manage compassion fatigue to not get to hopefully that point of breakdown. You know, recognizing your own symptoms as a as a parent, as a, as a professional, and finding your own coping mechanisms are so vital. Knowing what you need to do, you know, and again, we're not always all the best at doing this, and so we need to force ourselves and support each other to do that. You know, maybe you need to, you know, find a way that works for you, whether it be an online book club, you know, going to a running group, an art class that you attend, you know a weekly walk with a friend, whatever it is, we are all unique and we all need to learn how to cope, but we need to support each other to make that happen. One way we can support each other is by helping to grow awareness for things like compassion fatigue and who it might impact and affect on. You know, one way in which we're trying to help at Thriving Families at the moment is by having a digital peer support group because that is acknowledged as being one way that you can speak to somebody who gets your situation and feel unjudged and just be able to offload. So, you know, maybe if you live in the Highlands and, you know, trials as an option, try coming to one digital our digital support group or find someone similar or let us help you find someone similar. Compassion fatigue, it's not going away, but we can help deal with it. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you can find us at www.thrivingfamilies.org.uk. And you can also follow us and find out any updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.